0: Hey
1: everybody, welcome to Worldwide Technology Raceway. It is yet another edition of the award winning NHRA Insider Live. Tony Pedrick, Brian Lowe. What's going on, man? It's warm. It's going to be a warm one today. They say the (laughs) highs are going to be 88. I believe it has shown up already. Uh, Give us a few minutes. We'll be rolling some sweat off us. We coordinated the matching sunglasses because we care about the audience so much. It is a very high level thing we got going on here. So we're going to have Rob Flynn and Andrew Hines on today as our guests. We're going to bring Rob up in just a minute. But let's talk a little bit about what happened here Friday night because uh, it, it was obviously still very warm. But boy, we saw some huge runs out of teams that are trying to lead the points and in one case are leading the points.
2: Well, for a Friday night when the sun is off off of the racetrack, you do expect some big runs. We saw those runs, it's interesting, I received some track information, I was told (laughs) it was pitted, it's not good, the grip level was not high, but the record shows and the performance show yeah. that track was pretty good and yeah. you know Bob Tasker said something very interesting in his interview of course he ran a 3.85 seconds Nasty. that right there goes completely against a track that's pitted and not that good but what's interesting is you have all these track specialists that are out there looking at the track they have all these uh, high tech gadgets and machines yet some of the tuners still go out there and they twist their foot and what was interesting was Tasker said his tuner told him to stay towards the inside of the lane. So for all you track specialists that smoke the tires and want to blame it on the racetrack, maybe you looked at the wrong part of the track because I think Tasca did straddle the inside of the lane. He did. And he's got a 385 to show for it and no one is gonna run quicker than that this weekend.
1: Doug Coletta ran 370 with a nine last night. He grabbed the number one spot. Very quick run under the conditions as well. Eric Anders went to number one in pro stock and she is now a single point behind Matt Hartford. In the championship hunt? Well, there's no
2: surprise there. You know, I think, you know, look at Dallas Glenn, he really dominated the points all year up until this point. Yeah. And, you know, of course, Matt Hartford, he was, he had the hot hand for a while, yeah. but um, I don't think any of us didn't expect for that elite car and team to show up. And Erica, she's going to mix it up. And, you know, I think for, Uh, You know the rest of the Pro Stock field, I think Greg Anderson is another one that's surfaced. It seems to have the only car that can compete with Erica right now.
1: She has won here six times. She's won here four times in a row. We're going to talk more about Pro Stock in a few minutes. We'll also, of course, talk about Pro Stock Motorcycle, where Matt Smith has continued to play the role of uh, most interesting man in the world because he has (laughs) parked a Suzuki this weekend and showed up with a Buell. When we have Andrew Hines on in a few minutes, we'll talk about that. But your initial thoughts. Goes out there, he is uh, 500 behind Gage Herrera, he's qualified number two after last night. Look, you got to love the guy's spirit and his ability to
2: change things, yeah. uh, even when he has a Suzuki sponsorship, and, and it sounds like they work together. Uh, they may have had some engine issues, and, of course, they gave their blessing for him to get on this Buell. And I just think it's so interesting that, In one qualifying run, he got within five hundredths of a second. He hasn't been able to do that all year. And, of course, the competition, it seems like Gage and that Vance and Hines team has had the field covered by at least six hundredths, sometimes eight hundredths consistently. And I think... I think this story is about to get a lot more interesting with Matt Smith.
1: So let's welcome our first guest up onto the stage. He is the crew chief for the Scrappers Racing Top Fuel Dragster, and he is a guy that tuned that car to 300.8 miles an hour in the eighth mile. Rob Flynn, welcome onto the Insider Live. Grab a seat over there. We got you at the high-stakes corner seat there. How are you doing, man?
0: Good. How how are you guys? I lost my voice talking about it all week.
1: (laughs) You got a whole whole Don Corleone thing going there. I like it. Yeah. So let's talk about this run, man, it, it, historic in its own way. First car to ever run 300 uh, to the eighth mile. Would that run have happened without the rain delay?
0: Um, no, I don't, think, I don't think so, because we had a lot of time to think about it, and uh, we just kept making little changes. As the track cooled off, we, we made more and more changes, and uh, lo and behold, we, we pulled that run out. Rob, I'm always
2: after ratings. I want, I want as many people to tune into this podcast as humanly possible. So let's just get straight through, cut through the chase. Can you share with us what adjustments you made as a tuner to get that car to run 300 miles an hour in 660 feet?
0: No, I mean, we just, we just applied more clutch, more fuel, and more power. That's the bottom line. Um, you know david grubnick has been the been the car out there and obviously most of us thought he'd do it before we did and and uh, so at the end of last year we had a pretty good car but it was consistent but not fast and and over the winter mike said i want it to be fast and so we we made some changes alan johnson built the stage eight ahead and we only had a few of them at the start of the year, so we had to go between the stage 7 and the stage 8. But we did test the 8 and made you know, a 299 mile an hour run in our spare car at Gainesville testing.
2: When we, I'm sorry, when we saw the run, you know, we're looking at monitors, Brian and I are in the booth, and i'm sure you're focused on the scoreboard, right so you saw a three hundred sixty four very impressive run three hundred and thirty eight miles an hour, but at what point did you learn that it you guys had run the three hundred at the eighth
0: well, it was a three sixty four and that was our you know our quickest and mike's quickest run and you know immediately it's like well I'm, we're number one now, and then I walked back and did the first interview, and then Troy Fashing was standing there and he mouthing the words it went 300 to the eighth and it kind of just hit me right at that moment
1: it was fantastic how much did the run from brainerd lend into the tune-up you put in the car that night because when the car went 338 and changed with a huge speed it ran in brainerd did any of that data play into the run from charlotte
0: oh absolutely i mean that 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 made a big difference in all that that kind of proved that we had the power when we did that. We thought we did earlier in the year, but we've been pretty inconsistent. So uh, I think some of that is stems from having more power and ha- learning how to navigate the tracks with that. And you know, there was some runs this year where it ran 335, 336, and we're like, wow, okay. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, when we ran that 338, that's like, okay, now now we proved it to ourselves and everyone else, we have the power. And then we just had to learn how to uh, you know, apply more clutch at the same time frame like we did when we were testing.
1: So in my you know, uh, sixth grade educated brain, I assumed that when that first 300 mile an hour eighth mile pass was made, we'd also see 340 on the other end of the run. So talk a little bit about that. Was, was that in your mindset as well, that when, you went, when a car went 300 in the eighth we'd see 340 or did this kind of linear play out the way you thought it would?
0: No, absolutely. I mean, our car's generally been picking up about 40 miles an hour, so yeah, 340, 340. So uh, on that particular run, I think we only picked up 38, but it, it actually had a cylinder out about 920 feet, and then Mike actually shot it off a little earlier because his uh, visor in the windscreen was fogged up so much. <laughs>
2: Rob you guys are a few years down the road of course uh, the transition Alan Johnson was tuning the the car for Mike in transition to the Coletta team it's been a couple of years down the road you guys won six races a year ago how much has that setup changed since you inherited that from Alan Johnson
0: um we we've changed it you know quite a bit but we still run all the same components that Alan had, had on the car we run his you know the fuel system and uh you know, we got, we got newer blowers and stuff like that. We worked in the, you know, in the bell housing and um, certainly the new stage stage eight cylinder head plays into the, the performance level we're seeing now.
1: You're a proud Canadian native. So all of a sudden we look back at drag racing history, Dale Armstrong, also a Canadian guy, gets credit for the first 300 quarter mile. Another Canadian guy gets the first 308th by. What's going on? Why is it the Great White North dominated the speed marks here?
0: Yeah, I don't know. All my Canadian friends, that was certainly not lost on them. And I, you know, I heard about that actually on the way here and, and read it online also.
1: It's pretty great. And you know, Todd Venny works on our show. He's one of our, our pit, pit, pit producers. You go back a long way in this sport. Talk about the year you spent basically living on the couch, working with Ken Venny back in the day.
0: Well, I actually, Ken Benny was one of the guys I talked to while I was driving here yesterday. And uh, I consider him one of my mentors. Bernie Fedele, Dale Armstrong, Dick LaHaye, um, Bill Schultz, uh, Jim Brissett, Lee Beard. All these guys taught me a lot, and I wouldn't be here today without it. But Ken Benny really, you know, opened my eyes to uh, building high-performance engines and... Um, he let me do a lot of things on my own at his shop, and I certainly lot, learned a lot from him and owe a whole, uh, lot of my career to him.
2: Rob, when you go back to the Ken Venny days, to the beginning, so to speak, you know, you see all the parts and pieces and, of course, the race car itself has evolved, the chassis, the aerodynamics, but have the fundamentals changed? Is it still air and fuel and spark? I mean, is that concept consistent?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, in really uh ken benny he's kind of instilled that in into me working for him i mean his his um performance thing was all airflow he built the you know some of the first billet heads were big ports uh, i know when i worked with daryl Gwynn and and ken and we went to english Town and we put you know we put bigger port heads on and lo and behold we're number one qualifiers so that all those things you know play into it And so my mindset is following that path. Um, And so, uh, you know, there's other ways, you know, there's a lot of other ways to do this, but you know, that's generally the direction I've gone.
1: So looking forward to 2024, obviously Jasmine Salinas has her top fuel license, has designs on racing top fuel next year. Let's talk a little bit how that evolves the team in terms of your role, in terms of the guys you're working day to day with. How does that change?
0: yeah well that's all undetermined at this point but uh you know we're trying to like we brought troy fashing in to you know now so that he can get maybe accustomed to our team and stuff like that and then we hope that you know add some more good people to that whole group but you know even when we were doing her licensing we tried you know some little things that taught us some stuff to do on maybe some of the you know the hotter racetracks which certainly might apply today and so um you know it's been beneficial to, to run that car too and she's actually been driving the car that went 299 in testing
2: we talked about the cooler conditions last night and all the quick runs that we saw what do you forecast today it sounds like the high should get to about 88 degrees that's going to put a lot of track temperature what do you see being quick time for top fuel today
0: well i would say like Um, you know at Seattle we ran a 74 the track was 124 Um, you know I think we all expected a little more performance last night but the the reality is with our only shot at the track in the countdown no one wants to really make a mistake and then um, I think all of us probably would say that our power level was down yesterday when the drains came up quite a bit last night and the track was certainly better than maybe we gave it credit for and uh, You know, we saw some slower speeds we thought maybe people were smoking or spinning the tires down track and I think it was just maybe they're down on power.
1: So one last question before we let you go, Rob. As long as you've been at this and as many runs as you've made, as many times you've tuned a car down the racetrack, what still keeps you obsessed with this sport? What still keeps you obsessed? Is it stuff like the 300? Is it stuff like finding those incremental gains? What keeps you kind of enthusiastic about this?
0: Yeah, no, it's obviously the challenge, and you know, and thanks to Felix Connect for putting that target up there. You know, that that was certainly something to shoot for, uh, and, and being the first to do it is just icing on the cake. And so, just things like that, and then Mike's kind of tasked me with trying to train the future crew chiefs, and I, I really enjoy that role with Aaron Cave, and Adam Cave, and, and Mark mark stewart on our team and then troy fashion coming in him and i worked really well together yeah. at Colatus, so those are the things that re- keep me going and then having my son out here and seeing him every weekend is uh f- fantastic also
1: Well, Rob Flynn, thank you very much for coming to hang out with us this morning. You can go back in the shade now and cool off for a little while. (laughs) Top Fuel Cars will hit the racetrack twice today. Our next guest will be Andrew Hines. He's waiting in the wings over there. We'll drag him up on stage. But uh, it's going to be really entertaining today to watch these teams kind of deal with the heat. Yeah, it really will. Uh, You know, One last question before I let you go, Rob.
2: you know, in some of the interviews when Mike speaks uh, of what you guys have done to get here, you know, testing is always a c- pretty consistent process. Do you guys run anything differently on your car than your competition? He, he, he seems to allude to, you know, just trying like something that's uh, a little a little secret that he wants to keep under wraps, but, you know, he's got to do an interview. Anything interesting on your car that most of these teams don't have?
0: no i think we all pretty much have the same parts like i said there's a a lot of different ways to apply it and what we have works for us and what other people have works for them so i don't think there's any secret i mean our car is um, pretty stock as far as i know Uh, we run you know all in ellen johnson store-bought parts and Darren mayor's blowers and you know, Allen's clutches, so there's, there's nothing real trick that anyone can't buy. It's just a matter of applying all of it uh, to make the car fast.
2: So it's what you tell the parts to do. Best of luck to you guys
0: today, Rob. Thank you. Great talking to you guys.
1: Thanks, Rob. We appreciate it. Battling through, uh, battling through the Don Corleone voice situation. <laughs> He doesn't have to yell over the this noise of the car, which is cool. So let's welcome Andrew Hines onto the stage, of course, of the Vance and Hines Suzuki team. Come on up, Andrew, Mission Foods this year, the crew chief of record for Gage Herrera, who is on, uh, just on, and has been on a heater all season long. Andrew, thanks for coming to Absolutely. roast on the stage with us this yeah, morning. Yeah, it was a short walk over here from our <laughs> trailer, so it worked out well. <laughs> so man, it's, uh, this is exciting, and I, I want to talk first about Gage, I want to talk about his approach in this countdown, I want to talk about your approach in the countdown. What do you do differently for him that maybe you didn't even do for yourself back in the day? Uh, well, the kid's rock solid and I think that comes from a
3: lot of his experience bracket racing and I really haven't had to coach him on the starting line mentally. He's been really super strong. He came into a pretty high pressure situation being on our team, uh, expecting results. We knew we had a fast motorcycle, we just needed to get the wind lights. So. He's done a great job, that aspect. The little things I've coached him through mostly this year was just uh, the little finesse that it needs down track. You know, he, with his Pro Street bike making 700 horsepower, you got to throw that thing around. And these Pro Stock bikes, if you roll them over or slide the front end or do anything different, they don't have the horsepower to recover. So I just kind of had to snap them down mentally like, hey, just. Just little touches here and there. And he already had that natural ability, which is why I hired the kid. But right. <laughs> it was just a little bit to progress here and there and a little bit better along. And I told him, I said, no changes through the countdown. We're, we're here. The bike's been doing this all season long. Why change something now? And yep. it's been working really well. When I look
2: at Gage's performance on the track, he seems to be... Considerably quicker than everyone else, including Eddie Craywick. You know, are the bikes much different when you look at his performance? Is there something that he's doing, or are the bikes just set up differently?
3: Uh, there's a rider weight difference. Uh, Gage is about 25 pounds lighter than, than Eddie. So when you bolt that solid to the chassis, you know, we're not stacking it all forward. It's not all in the back. It's all spread out pretty good across the bike, and um, and the way Gage lunges. You know, the combination of those two things. I've been talking about it all year, but. The kid magnifies everything that we've done in the clutch to make it better and it just repeats every time and and, and you know, I I probably fell victim to people telling me, get it off the edge,
1: you know, stop going one oh three all the time and that's probably what bit me in reading. Ultimately, um, it looked to me when we watched that run it looked like it hit the wheelie bar pretty hard and enough to maybe just unload the tire a little it bit. It
3: actually was a cold tire. I okay. didn't have to do a long enough burnout We didn't have much experience with gauge on that bike in cloud cover cold okay. track temp and I just pulled him out of the burnout too early. It started to smoke. I pulled him out and the Hindsight the tire was too cold and it went about a half a revolution and white And got on the colder part of the tire. It was like it was on ice so Going back to Eddie's deal, the bikes are equally as fast from about 200 feet to the finish line. We can overlay the graphs, they they make the same horsepower, the bikes are tuned the same. Eddie's chassis is a little different. Um, We built Gage's bike back when Angel was riding in early 21, and it's a traditional style Suzuki chassis. the way we have it designed, though, it's based upon how our Harleys were, how those evolved over the years, how the chassis is built, where the tubes are, what the geometry is. And when we did Ed's, it's all the same, it, other than his bike, it literally can break in half to get the engine out. That's how our Harleys were. He we could take the front half of the bike off. And I'm not sure if that's uh, paying us any favors right now. I think it <laughs> might make the chassis a little stiffer in areas we don't want it to be. So we're gonna re- regroup over the winter and see if we can uh, re overhaul Ed's bike. Maybe we'll sell that one off and build another one. So there's little things that, and we're getting better. Yeah. Ed's clutch is getting better. It's it's actually a motorcycle now. The last three <laughs> races we finally <laughs> said let's throw away all the notes we've been working on, go back to what works. Like in St. Louis here last year, and it won't take the same clutch to get it, set up as Gage. It's just uh, it can't have the base in it. It's just a matter of. Uh, whether it is the chassis or just the way the 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 whole package rides with gauge is just it's hard to top
1: that what i think is so cool about the story beyond the success is that we have to go back like 50 years in drag racing when we talk about a person that has a physical skill that's better than somebody else's right we go back to the early pro stock days ronnie socks ronnie socks could outshift anybody with an h pattern four speed that's why he was the fastest pro stock car of his time now we have this guy on this motorcycle that other people are trying to do what he's doing and they think so much about it that they either forget to release the clutch handle on time <laughs> or they release it when the thing's not even on the chip. And to me, that's a really interesting thing because we just don't see it in drag racing that much.
3: Yeah, and that was, uh, you know, prop and Gage up there, telling everybody how good he rides is, is showing where the class needs to be. The problem is... If I got back on the bike, I couldn't do what Gage does. Right. You know, I rode a certain way for 20 years. You can't break those yeah. habits. And and you try to do that in a pressure situation, and everything goes wrong. So uh, I was trying to tell the class, maybe you should try it, almost as a ploy. Like, maybe right. it'll help us down the long haul. So uh, it's worked out well. I mean, I can't really ask for much more. The kid yeah. has been perfectly sound from starting line to the finish line he shifts to the right spot and the thing i was missing the last couple of years especially when i rode all my data logging and processing happened in the shutdown area would the bike feel like third gear fourth gear did it accelerate here shutter there and now i'm getting that with gauge and and from probably through gainesville charlotte chicago we just refined what you can't see on the data on the motec info and correlate with what he says and the changes I think I can make for the next run. And he says it, it pulls and started letting fish line. <laughs> Andrew, when you go back to when you hired
2: Gage, there had to be some expectations. And you guys have clearly dominated, hit a couple of speed bumps along the way, but I think that's just part of the learning process, mostly for the rider. But
3: to this point, have you exceeded what the expectations have been with the rookie rider? Absolutely. You know, I thought we'd have a few more learning moments along the way, but... Unfortunately, the learning moment's been, what's wrong with the engine? Uh, how come we didn't change this part out earlier? Uh, you know, he's had, the, the two issues he had in uh, Bristol in the final and Norwalk and the mission deal, he just rolled it in too far. And that's a proponent from what he did on his pro street bike. He was trying to get better reaction times on his pro street bike, and you can't roll it in two inches on a pro stocker. So, he's got it locked in now where he's rolling in a quarter or a half an inch, and we can tune the reaction time around him. Uh, there's really not much more to ask for. I mean, we've been working on the engines all season long and unfortunately that's a proponent of the tech department smashing us down, yeah. but then we go back and do 74 more dyno pulls, figure out what we need to change in the heads and the cams, pistons. Everything's uh, you know progressed along and we're just kind of maintaining that performance all throughout the season. And I got a lot of notes now where Later in the day on Sunday where I get nervous last year because I didn't have those semifinal, final round notes, we got a lot of them now and different race conditions. I mean, the bike's fast and hot and humid, it's fast and cold. I really can't ask for more. I don't think I've had a bike this good with a rider that good my entire career.
1: Well, I mean, when you have a season where you've earned as many lead trophies as Wally's, <laughs> uh, something's going the right way. So on a hot racetrack like we'll see today, how does his technique help or how does it adjust what you do? It gives
3: the bike more traction in the first five feet. Okay. It, it basically, what he's doing, he's making the bike think it's lighter okay. as he's ramming forward. And it gives us a, a lot more latitude to be still aggressive on a hot track. Uh, yesterday, I, I got a little over greedy and had a little too much RPM and spun went 104.8. So today, I, I think we can expect really about the same. Even though it's going to be hotter, I think we could run about the same performance. We gave up a little bit in tuning from 60 for the finish line. Ultimately, last night, repeating that run should have gone 69. Uh, but it's a learning process. And I, at one point, I said, let's just repeat what we did, send it down the racetrack. It, this bike's too good. It's like Charlotte. I got lost on Saturday and bogged the heck out of it twice. And it was making runs that were pretty poor. So poor, he actually shut off. Because he's like, why should I even beat on this thing to the finish line? It's going <laughs> so slow. And uh, I told my guys, we regrouped Saturday night. I said, as far as I'm concerned, this bike hasn't even been down the racetrack this weekend so e1 is q1 we started from there went back to notes that the bike had been in all all that that uh, mindset for the whole year and it just went out and repeated four runs in a row andrew what's the temptation like you seem to have taken the same path as your brother you know he's
2: a championship rider and um how 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 bad is that temptation for you watching this bike go down do you find more interest on in the tuning aspect of it, or do you occasionally just still get that itch?
3: I get the itch to <laughs> want to go fast, you know, just seeing these guys pop up 202 on hour runs, 203 like we did in Reading. That was fun. That was cool. But for, unfortunately for my fans and things like that, my risk versus reward wasn't there yet any, any longer. You know, kids at home, watch my son play football, my, my daughter going through all that stuff is just... It's, uh, it was time to get off the seat. And I know if I got back on the bike and in the class, I wouldn't be a top level competitor like I was you know, 10 years ago. So it's, I get the reward from working in the shop, finding horsepower. I mean, the engine, the whole bike is basically my, my fourth child. So the engine, the bodywork, we all worked on at an Vance and Heinz and you know, billet head, billet cases. Uh, it's pretty fantastic
1: to see what we're able
3: to punch out of Vance and Heinz.
1: Is there a, also a reward when you look across the pit area and see a guy who just continues to try to roll out another weapon every week out of the trailer? I mean, it's the big story of the weekend, right? He, you know, Matt is, uh, Matt is on, the, I call it the Iron Man bike, some people call it the Red Rocket. He's pulled out the championship bike. And, and listen, I think it is a last ditch effort. I don't know if there's any way to look around it. I think it's a great story for the weekend, but I also don't know if that thing's got the guts to do what he wants it to do. It's
3: flattering, I guess. You know, it shows they're trying to do whatever they can to take out the fastest bike on the property. Uh, you know, throwing Joey on the pink bike and Matt bringing out his bike. It just, you know, it's, I guess they're just shooting from the hip at this yep. point.
1: Oh, it makes them dangerous. That makes it. And listen, it, for us, it's we always joke that like the stories that make all the racers uncomfortable and weirded out in the pits are the best thing we can have. It's a great. Anything that's really good on TV typically gets a little bit weird, but um, I do like the fact that he is such a competitor that he looked and surveyed his options and that was the best one. I, I wish I had a recording of what the phone call was to Suzuki to get this figured out because it had to have been just amazing. But there he is. Look, my uh, my take is,
2: uh, from the outside, I thought he got within five hundredths of a second. I thought that was very good, considering that was the first time on that bike in a long time. But I think you answered my question. It sounds like you guys have more, and you even feel like you can run just as quick, if not quicker, in this heat. Yeah, I think
3: we'll, we run the same today, basically, because the air will be a little bit off. But, uh, you know, Matt even said, the thing hasn't run all season long. It's been sitting in the yeah. trailer all year. so. Obviously he hasn't worked on it. We've been working on our bike all season yeah. long. He's lighter, we're heavier, we're still out running him. So we're here for the fight. He can bring whatever he wants, but I got confidence in my guys.
1: <laughs> so when we look over just these last kind of couple of races, uh, Dallas is obviously a, pl- a place that kind of delivers us pretty quick times. We got out to Pomona, it's obviously really fast. You guys, meaning you engage now have 19 of the quickest top 20 runs ever made in this class. <laughs> There's only one that's at the top of the heap that has somebody else's name on it. Is I know. that is that world record achievable by the end of the year? Pomona
3: be the only place. It's uh, strange to say, but it's a big downhill track like yep. Charlotte. We went 70 there last year. I think we get 60 foot better this. It's all gonna be Mother day dependent. Yep. If we get 65, 70 degree air, we'll we'll probably take the record in Pomona. I tried in Reading, you know, just. That 67 hard to get past. You, know, you start moving that air, you're pushing faster wind early in the run. I keep telling people, you know, when Gage goes 67, the class goes 74, he's going faster speed in less time. So it's a lot to push that bike that fast. And for how heavy it is, it takes a lot of horsepower in the right conditions. But I want to crack that thing. It's, it's tough. And every time we get close, Gary Stouffer sends Gage a message and that says, that's close enough. <laughs>
1: One last question from me, Andrew, and that is the Gen 3 Hayabusa bodywork, we've seen the vast majority of teams make that switch over. What has been the benefit of that Gen 3 body over the Gen 2?
3: It is, from what the riders say, it's completely stable. Okay. And you can see that at the finish line from the NHRA cameras. They yeah, got way less,
1: way less movement than we used to see. It almost looks,
3: you know, the onboard camera, when we carry those every now and then, it looks boring. You know, the guys just drop their head, go straight to the finish line. But that's all you could ask for out of a motorcycle. I mean. Some of the stuff that Eddie and I have ridden over the years with aero instability, its uh, it was a nightmare sometimes, but the moment the guys got on the bike and testing, they said, it's not faster, it's not more aerodynamic that we've noticed, it doesn't put up better total speed in the back half, it's just, you can do it every time. It's more repeatable, the Gen 3 just made more stable, great surfaces to work with from Suzuki to morph into a pro stock bike. and. It looks great on the racetrack. I mean, it looks like a, what a pro stock bike should it looks be proper. in modern days. It
1: looks proper.
2: Let me give you one hypothetical, last hypothetical. Let's say Matt Smith can hit some licks. You have the choice. Where do you take this battle? You take it in this kind of heat, or would you rather have it done in the cool conditions? What's your preference?
3: I'll take the heat. You know, we got a really good motorcycle in the heat. We saw that in Indy. was cracking out mid-70s, going 104, 103 on a hot racetrack. I don't think there's many bikes out there that can perform in the first 60 feet like his bike let alone consistently, but we do it in the hot, and that'll just equate to big numbers at the finish line. And I think when it gets greasy, we're going to prevail.
1: He is Andrew Hines, of course, crew chief for Gage Herrera. Great discussion about Pro Stock Motorcycle and the effort. Thank you for coming by today, man. Absolutely.
3: I'm going to take a short walk back to the trailer.
1: <laughs> in the AC, I'm sure. So it is going to be a great day here at Worldwide Technology Raceway. Our qualifying coverage will air tomorrow on FS1. That's going to air at 2 o'clock. It'll air from 2 to 3. Then the race will be shown on FS1 from 3 to 6 PM. Tony, give me a couple of expectations today. We have bump spots in Nitro Funny Car, in Pro Stock, and basically Every class, so where does somebody that wants to win a championship? What do they need to do today in top fuel well it
2: 's safe to say that the top spots are going to stay. nobody yeah. in top fuel, nobody in funny car are going to touch those more likely in top fuel, but probably not. I think the interesting story is are the teams that didn 't get a hold of the track yeah. that missed the opportunity for the position they 're going to have to do it on a hot race track it's yeah. going to be over 130 degrees and there were a lot of cars that ran some mid 70s so even if they make good runs they're going to find themselves in the middle of the pack that means by the second round they're going to have one of those good cars that ran good so that's what I'm going to look for is who and where is that shuffling going to take place for those teams that missed that good opportunity? And
1: in the Nitro Funny Car category, there were two cars that managed to run in the 380s last night. It was Bob Tasker third as the number one qualifier at 385, but it was also Blake Alexander. He landed number two at 388. Uh, I believe, and I think we're on the same page here, neither of those numbers will be touched today.
2: No, no, not even close, not especially the 385. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, of course, Blake, the challenge for them is going to be, consistency is trying to repeat not necessarily a 388 but maybe something in the mid 90s maybe high 90s is what we're likely to see in this first qualifying session but what the run from tasca does is it really sends a ripple through funny car When you think about caps and robert height and Hagen, those are championship winning drivers those are the best teams they have been the best teams now tasca enters this equation and he seems to be dominating so every time they they throw a punch he seems to counter and respond so now what they have to shoot for is not just consistency but they've got to deal with some added performance and of course we, we always say another rooster in the hen house and that's hard for some of these drivers to deal with
1: So it's going to be great. Make sure you tune in all weekend, especially tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern on FS1 for final qualifying, 3 p.m. for the race broadcast from 3 to 6. And this is the end of this NHRA Insider Live. Thanks to our guests, Rob Flynn and Andrew Hines. And we need to go back into our booth. We need to go back. In the air conditioning, but I I start to feel a breeze. And this is actually going to help the bikes because it feels like a tailwind, if nothing else. Thanks for watching. We'll be back soon down the road. We head to Dallas. Maybe we'll cram another one of these guys in for the Texas Motorplex next.